In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 355 this week another double header we start with keith Traylins and kyle preston back of hunt a killer who stopped by to talk about the mystery company's extensive lineup of boxed experiences and the live action origins and future of the company Then returning to the pod is one of our favorite people to talk immersive with, designer and director David Ruzicka, whose latest work was experienced by those lucky enough to attend HBO's House of the Dragons activation, produced by Giant Spoon at San Diego Comic-Con. As you know, this podcast and all we do at NoPro is brought to you by our generous Patreon supporters, and we had no new backers last week. Which means we now need 10 new backers at the $5 level to right the ship and keep up with rising costs before the month is through. If you're already a backer, the best way to help out is by dropping a review on iTunes of the podcast and by sharing the pod and website articles on your social media platform of choice. Some of what you'll find on the site this week include a very robust call sheet with casting notices for shows in New York City, San Jose, and Los Angeles, and multiple production and front of house roles for an immersive horror attraction in Times Square. Plus, this week's Immersive 5 features Paul King of London's Party Geek. The review rundown has an audio theme. And over at Everything Immersive, the Trailheads column is another globetrotter, including the latest from Japan's Obiken and a 16-hour escape game in France. All this brought to you by those Patreon backers at patreon.com slash including our sustaining backers, Ari Herstend, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. All right, that is the business. Let's get to the cast. <laughs> A good mystery is one of life's great joys, and it's all the sweeter when you get to play detective, which is exactly what the mystery makers at Hunt a Killer have given sleuths around the world over the chance to do over and over again. Joining us on the pod today are Keith Tralins, Hunt a Killer's chief product officer and VP of product, Kyle Prestonbeck. Guys, thanks for Hello. joining me on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's our pleasure to be here. And actually, I should... I, I, I should have you do this. So, uh, Keith, say hello. Hello. And Kyle, say hello. Hello. So now everyone knows who's who. I always forget <laughs> to do this when I get two guests, and uh, you'd, you'd think decades of being in this business I'd remember to do that, but I, I don't. Every time. Every time I forget. Um, okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but Hunt Killer got its start as a subscription-based mystery in a box service, right? I mean, that's what everyone knows you guys as. Uh, actually, no. Everyone knows this is that, but originally, the the first version of Hunt a Killer 
was a live event. Uh, our founders, uh, Ryan Hogan and Derek Smith, they uh, rented some big field in like Maryland and created a crime scene and invited people to the crime scene to investigate the crime scene. They had actors and they laid it out. And it was, it was very, uh, it was very raw <laughs> to, uh, to be blunt. It was very successful. A lot of people came out to it, had a great time, but they very quickly realized that it didn't scale into any kind of practical business. They had um, previously done a business called Run For Your Life, which was a um, zombie 5K run mm. where you ran and were chased by zombies. And so they, they already sort of knew a lot of the, the trappings of where live events could go and where they could go wrong. Um, so they pivoted to uh, the subscription box. They said, how could we scale this? And, you know, subscription boxes were kind of all the rage 20, end of 2015, beginning of 2016. And uh, so that's where they, they pivoted to. And, and that's what caught on like fire, like, uh, yeah, like, like fire, like fire. That's the right phrase. Right? <laughs> like fire. Well, I mean, def I mean, there's, there's been a lot of mysteries from Hunter Killer over the years in this subscription form. I, I got to do part of the Blair Witch cycle, which was very exciting to me. And, and I was impressed by how much it captured the lore vibe of the Blair Witch movies, which, which sadly never, never got a proper sequel. In my, I guess I never watched that, that one they did a couple of years ago, mostly because it's, it's pretty good movies. actually. Yeah. yeah it's, it's worth it. Yeah. I, I hear, I hear like medium good things about it. Like, you know, like I should, I should, I should watch it at some point, you know, it's like, I you should, should watch it. And then they did a, uh, they did a video game a couple of years ago too, that they re-released in VR. Yeah. That one's great. It's and, and actually ties into our, like they're connected. So I, I would encourage you to do that one. That one's, that one is a definitely a true sequel to Blair Witch. I'm, I gotta admit, I'm almost a little too frightened to do the VR one. Like I know I should, <laughs> but like going, going to Blair Witch was one of like the joys of my movie going like right out of college and, and just it, the movie did a great job of freaking me out and I'm just I'm just sitting there going like if I put this on I'm gonna freak out like I love the idea of it and I'm just like uh mucho trepidation there okay but um but the subscriptions as we've noted it's it's not the only thing uh there is now just judging by my last few dozen trips to target the brand has really expanded what's the breadth of hunter killer right now and this is a this is a great time to ask that question because it is uh, Thursday as, as we sit here, and um, I've just gotten back from uh, earlier this week from Gen Con, where we uh, had a very very successful show. So we um, we've really broadened our product offering over the last two years to include a lot of single box experiences. A lot of those are available at uh, retail stores. We are in Target. We are in Walmart. You can find us at Barnes & Noble. We're going to be continuing to expand. And we have a line of single box. Uh, it's sort of, you know, all in one, one episode, if you will, a couple hours of entertainment, uh, optimized for two to four people. You can solo it if you really like a challenge because you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. Um, you can do it in a group of five or six, but uh, we recommend 
couple bottles of wine if you do it that way. Um, <laughs> but uh, we also have- Is there a direct line between bottles of wine to difficulty level? Like, have you got, a, got the rubric in there yet? So. I think the wine kind of may lower it a little, but if you go with like vodka, it definitely increases the <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> depending on how much you know. Uh, Jaeger, Jaeger will get you there too. Um, we also, you know, we, we also Excellent. have- only love it. So Of course. <laughs> we also have a line of uh, of- we call them premiums, uh, which are much bigger uh, individual experiences, single box experiences that you can only get through huntakiller.com. And those are really deep dives. Um, that's our, our sort of our premier title, Supernova, which is just exquisite. It is beautiful and it's emotional and it's actually not like anything we've ever done. And we had a very, very strong response at Gen Con to people seeing it seeing what was in it and then playing it and coming back to talk to us about it because they'd never had anything like it before. We, we've, the feedback we got was we've, we've, we have people who have said that they have never had a game make them cry twice, much less once. Uh, but th- that's the depth of, of supernova. But are, we are, also you packing, have... are you packing onions they have to cut into the box or <laughs> oh, no, what's, what's, what goes in? So what, what sets supernova apart? Not, not necessarily from a, a narrative standpoint, because obviously we don't want to spoil what's in the story, but what's the difference between a premium coming directly from you guys versus what someone might pick up at target or when, if they subscribe to one of the, the series, which, you know, you get, you get a nice envelope filled with lots of, uh, paper, you know, elements, uh, and some online bits that you wind up doing, but what's, what's the premium setup like? So much deeper and longer. Mm. So, um, with the premium experiences, you're getting probably at least four hours of entertainment. Some of them can go easily up to eight to 10, Mm. uh, depending on how deep you want to go. The items in the box are, are just, they're, you know, you're going to want to put them up on a shelf. You're going to want to put it someplace safe because it looks great. Um, and, uh, it, it really, really bends the, uh, it bends the, the bounds of reality. We're able to do more things with the premium to make it feel, uh, authentic and real and germane and that you really are in that world versus, the box, which we, we do a good job of doing that with the the single experiences that you might find at retail. Um, but there's, you know, there's because of the constraints of having to have a price point and, you know, cost of goods and all that, there's only so much we can do in those boxes to be able to deliver it at, at the right price. Whereas our premiums, yeah, they're pricier, but they're, they, they really are exquisite. They're, they're beautiful. We have, um, you know, we have two versions of our Agatha Christie story. One is available on Amazon, but then we have our version, the, we call it the collector's edition. I, I mean, I have it on display in my hallway because it's this beautiful bo- wooden box that's got a lock built into it. And everybody that sees it goes, what is that? And, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing that we do because, because we wanted it to feel like, oh, yes, no, this thing fits into your life. But then there's also all this lore and history into it. Oh, by the way, it's also a mystery. Nice. Kyle, maybe you can tackle this one. What what goes into making a mystery? That's a great question. The um, 
you know, I, I think one of the things that has separated maybe Hunt a Killer from other either detective boxes or 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 even even board games is is that is that our media and our brand and our our content is 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 a specifically crafted story um and it's a story where we're putting you into that story where you get to be the detective um and we have a a I'll call it a formula, right? It's a proprietary formula that's unique to our brand, um, where we have established principles that are um, richly and deeply rooted in um, the 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 ideals of a of of a crime genre, of a mystery story, of a of 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 things that you like typically take for granted inside of books or movies or film um but we express that in in the format of um these collected elements and um problems that you have to solve just like a real crime detective will have to solve problems with evidence that um that they have available to them from the real murder our writers our designers craft those stories over many many weeks and many many months um um, and it takes a team um to 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 create a richness and a depth um that is 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 very unique um in in this type of play and and the types of games that we that that we produce yeah if if i could jump in um you know one of the things that we we debate about sometimes is how much of it is story and how much of it is game. And I think a lot of the other uh, experiences that are in the space lean into the game side. For us, we start with the story. The story and the characters have to be there. So we have a whole process to do that before we even talk about where is it going? What, what, format is it going to be in is it going to be a single is it going to be an episodic season is it going to be a premium if the story is not there it doesn't matter so we focus on story and character first which is interesting because it really does kind of put us at odds with with what you would say are our competitors in the space which are very much games with a little bit of story put into it yeah, one of the things I was really struck with your your Blair Witch efforts was how much the the vibe of that world was represented. Uh, it really it felt like I was going through pieces of Burkittsville lore, and then even the way that the puzzles were resolving, like. My the hair on the back of my neck stood on end as I was coming around because you could just sort of feel like you could feel around the corner what was coming and building that sense of anticipation. And that that pacing and sense of dread is so key to that world. Yeah, and you believe that they're real, right? Like the puzzles are not 
just puzzles for the sake of having a puzzle like an escape room might have um not not to knock escape rooms right they're they're glorious and they're great um the puzzles that exist for you know in your example right like it's 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 there and it it feels like it was actually meant to be there right um, the reverse engineering of a crime scene and the and a narrative of discovering um the things that you're discovering alongside your contact um are are so real and they're so visceral and that's the that's exactly the emotion that we want to convey. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things when I think about what distinguishes a mystery from a puzzle. It's like you have to the detective has to turn the mystery into a puzzle in order to solve it. But the mystery is this kind of amorphous thing and it it has rough edges and it it doesn't it shouldn't quite fit inside of a box, even as it ultimately resolves, because the life itself is messy. Uh, and and that vibe, that vibe is definitely in a good chunk of your, y'all's work. Yeah, and we take that and we figure out how to fit it inside of a box. Yeah, yeah, it does fit it. We we're the we're the pros at putting it in a box. Yeah, it, the, the the attempt to make it germane. Uh, you, you know, you're right. The mystery to solve the mystery, you have to kind of turn it into a puzzle. But the existence of it. There has to be a reason that something happened that has led to this mystery. I mean, we're talking about murder mysteries. So there has to be a reason for that person to be dead. And so, you know, we, we really do focus on the means, motive, and opportunity. But that, that motive part is where the meat is. Um, and, and I get very excited when I see our writers come up with stories that just are loaded with it and you get these characters that are so deep and rich and real and i mean we all have someone that we want to kill (laughs) it might be someone far away but there's somebody that we all would love to you know get our hands on our neck uh but to actually you know to explore people that would actually do that to explore people that inspire that and others that might have inspired someone to do that that's it's got to feel organic It, it, it can't just be like a riddle for the sake of a riddle. I want to pivot here to something that's on the horizon, which I now know is also part of the deep past, which is live action hunter killer experiences. Uh, and the last I checked, there was a plan to stage a crime scene in San Francisco next year. Is, is that still in the works at the moment? Absolutely. Uh, I can tell you, it, it, we, we're not sure if it's still going to be San Francisco or someone mm. else. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be clearer with that uh, as we get into, uh, into 2023. But it's actually, it's actually two crime scenes. Ah. Uh, and yeah, they are, they are robust, full-on investigations. It is, um, you know, you, you, will, you will go to a police station, you will be assigned a case as a, as a, as a consulting private investigator, and then you will go to multiple crime scenes that have to analyze the scenes and look for evidence and uh, put it together. So a little and different bring from, it back and from, make your accusation. So it sounds like a little different from a escape room. So this, this is going to kind of take place over, over a, a, a larger playing field, or are you going to kind of contain it in or, or is that, yeah, is that still, part of the plan? It, it's still contained, um, but it, it's it's emotionally deeper than an escape room, right? I, like the the experience in this is is going to be um, a, 
a cerebral depth where you are, where we bring a real crime scene to you. Um, and it's your job um, to, to help the detectives um, as one of the detectives, right, to help the other detectives um, figure out who did it. I wonder if there's any, like, anything you can tell me, like, are, are there going to be actors involved in this? You mentioned there were actors in the original <laughs> version, like, because I'm just trying to think, like, you know, I am trying to think of how this is different from, uh, you know, an escape room, right? You know, where, or, or a crime-based escape room where it's like, oh, okay, you get the mission briefing, and then you go in, and then you deal with the set. But sometimes there might be an actor, usually there isn't, there's rarely, if any, interrogation going on. Like, do you know which way you're leaning with this yet? We, we do. Uh, I'm going to keep that a little under the hat. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, all I can say is it is definitely not an escape room. Okay. Uh, everything will, will make sense. Everything will, will feel organic. You will go at your own pace. There's, there's not a, 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 a ticking clock. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've, we've addressed all of those things and we're excited to unveil it to the world. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hold on to a couple of those things as okay. secrets. No, we'll, we'll, we'll come back around when we're a little, little closer, but, uh, but I know it's something it's, it's just exciting to see. Cause I'm also looking at this from the point of view of, as we get live immersive experiences sort of shared out with the rest of, of the world and, and get more people, you know, more people becoming aware of them, but it's still a fairly niche market. Right. It's still, I mean, to the point that the founders, you know, did this thing way back when, and they're like, oh, this won't necessarily scale. Now we find ourselves in a world where there've been a lot more live action, immersive experiences. You have things like the Stranger Things experience running around and people are starting to become aware of it. And this, the idea that people who know Hunt a Killer might go, oh, I can go do, I can go to a hunter killer crime scene. Like I can go see it in real life. Like there are going to be people who never went to the stranger things who've, you know, don't go to galaxy's edge and star Wars who would never be caught dead at sleep. No more who are going to go to this. And that's something that's, it's exciting to me to know that the, the genre barriers are breaking down. Yeah. It's one of those interesting opportunities, right. To, to, to try to take and take the craft that we've excelled at, um, with, with, with people at home, um, where, where it's intimate with your friends, um, where we have created the right universe for you to be detective and play detective for us to take that and move it into real life. It's the same concept. You get to play detective. You're, you're going to solve a crime. You're going to solve a crime the same way the real detectives solve a crime. Um, and it's a really great like experience for us to, 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 to take what we put in small packaging um, and expand it into a real physical place that does have constraints and limits. Um, but, but that expansion um, it's, it's, it's a whole new way of exploring that universe of being coming a detective. Aside from the live action coming next year, what are some of the other things on the horizon here uh, for you guys? Uh, you mentioned the the supernova uh, that you just showed up at Gen Con. Anything else that was shown at Gen Con or, or just around the corner that that folks should know about? 
Yeah, sure. So we um, we just released our newest retail game called Dead Below Deck, at uh, which is exclusive to Target. Uh, it takes place on a a private charter yacht. Um, it's a lot of people who uh, you know the, the bosun on the uh, shows up dead, and you the they're stuck on the boat, and they need your your help in trying to figure out who did it. Um, so it's it's a traditional mystery. It's modern. It's very funny, um, and and uh, that one's already getting a great response. We also uh, will will be uh, Supernova will be uh, available throughout uh, the latter half of this year, and certainly for holiday because it's such a a, a great fun experience. We also have uh, another one that just came out called Dead on the Vine, which is a premium. Uh, available uh, only through us. That is uh, murder at a vineyard in uh, in Northern California, and so it's all uh, very posh and uh, you know wine themed. A uh, lot of fun. We also have uh, a book coming out in November um, called uh, Blood on the Water. It's it's our second book with Scholastic. The first one is called Perfect Score. And uh, we're very, very excited about uh, what Blood on the Water is going to do. It was just, uh, it was just named a Librarian Association choice, and uh, Perfect Score is 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 a blast. This is a good uh, uh, follow up to it. Uh, so you know, fun, fun light reading uh, that also really puts you in the world of uh, of Hunt a Killer. So when you say with Scholastic, so that means that kids at school this fall are going to get their little Scholastic book fair pamphlet and one of the options is going to be hunt a killer correct and we cannot wait to see how that unfolds uh they 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 uh you know the riverside books have done very well <laughs> with yeah. scholastic and it's kind of similar in that they, they they go into dark places and actually the, the author of uh some of those riverdale books is is our author on uh, blood in the water and we have an uh, we have Rary. an immersive mystery box um that's um part of a nancy drew series and yes. um and 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 that 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 plays really well it's really fun um to be able to kind of take something that seems really adult right um and apply it to uh the young adult uh sorry the young adult genre and uh, Nancy Drew's great example of that. The books are another great example of that. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting application of our brand. Now, what you guys need to do is you get your hands on the Encyclopedia Brown license, and then we'll talk. <laughs> uh, no comment. No comment at this point. But I, I, will say, I, I will say I love, I am a huge fan of Encyclopedia Brown, too. That's certainly was my first introduction. Oh, yeah. No, that, I, that, 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 was, that, was, that was one of my... Uh, earliest uh, favorites. Well, guys, thanks for for swinging by and, and telling us what's up with Hunter Killer. We're we're very much looking forward to wherever the crime scene may happen to pop up next year, uh, but are also keeping a close eye on everything that uh, that you're doing right now because it's uh, just an impressive body of work. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
David Rizica is no stranger to the pod, having spoken with us before about creating everything from immersive horror to educational experiences. Recently, he was down in San Diego working on one of the biggest activations of San Diego Comic-Con, where he was performance director for HBO's House of the Dragon activation from the agency Giant Spoon. David, it's good to have you back on the show. It's good to be here. How are you doing? Oh, oh don't ask me that question. <laughs> Why not? No one wants to know. Uh, oh. Let's let's stick let's stick to the game plan. Uh, Chester right. starters. I know I'm the worst when it comes to pleasantries. Let me tell you, uh, baristas like oh, so how's left. it going? Oh, is it <laughs> is it all we have left? I, I guess I'm afraid so. it might be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you can't if you can't tell, David and I are are, are are friends, friendly, friendly. I don't know. I don't. That's it's been two years. I haven't seen anything. When was the last time I, I saw you? Back into- uh i don't i really wouldn't even it, begin to guess was it, it pre- in person i don't know was it pre-pandemic probably yes because you didn't you didn't um, swim by like any, just, any of the stuff we did in 20 uh 2021 like we did a couple of meetups you didn't you didn't did you pop by did you pop by one of those i was i feel like there was like a like a is it thirsty crow maybe there was something no, we there that we did, far the, back. we did we okay oh, oh you wow know you know what i remember i remember which one it was it was the one at roguelike okay so yeah the last time we saw each other so that was that was that was 2021 that was that was like the that was when we were in that weird spot where we were like oh can we do things again maybe we can for, let's try it and see for four weeks before delta uh i mean yeah i i had that with uh i, I did a uh uh if I'm hopefully not getting ahead of myself, but I did a brand thing last year where we were in that one week in LA where it was a mask, no mask mandate. And so everybody was like, "Wee!" and then like the next day it was like, Oh no, everything shut down again. So yeah. Um, it was a really weird, I don't know. We're just playing it by ear. That we are. So just, I'm supposed to say just for starters here. We've already started, but You've you've worked on a lot of different stuff over the years, uh, as I mentioned at the top, and you know indie projects like you've done like stuff on your own, like rented out Zombie Joe's and did some things. Uh, you've worked on marketing activations, obviously House of Dragon. That's that's a that's a really big one, and you've even done stuff that's kind of walked the line between the two, or like you know indie companies doing a ticketed event, but that's actually an activation kind of thing at the same time. It, is it wildly different making these kinds of immersive? Uh, it's not, I don't think any of it's ever wildly different. Actually, I feel like the thing that's sort of the obvious thing that's the biggest difference is, is how much more buttoned down the information you have from an IP standpoint and sort of the, I guess the Bible you're following from the beginning. But it it, it was interesting for House of the Dragon because since we, even in that case, the IP was sort of close to the vest to the extent where some things were even mysterious for us when we were developing the project. Huh. And uh, I found myself kind of weirdly defaulting to a lot of old school uh, theatrical things that I would do in another kind of um, another kind of brand, you know, experience or honestly, just even in traditional immersive theatrical stuff, whatever you want to call <laughs> traditional immersive theatrical <laughs> stuff. Um, but uh, no, I mean, cause for example, um, if we don't know, how to talk about something in the show that is has not been leaked yet or released yet officially or in the case of house of the dragon because we're dealing with 200 years prior to what everybody knew about that show up to that point 
Um, so we had all these people kind of like trying to, you know, fortune tell around our actors and tell them about characters that are only like a blink in someone's eye at the time of our thing. Um, I always put our actors back in the mindset of putting it back on the, on the audience and, you know, have them share what inform- kind of gather Intel about what they believe about the different houses and the characters and oh, uh, put it on the guest a little bit more. And honestly, that makes people, it's an old school thing, but it makes people feel a lot more like the stories about them. So all those, all those aspects are, just as evergreen and something where you have a, a much more, I guess, strict rule book to follow. So, so some, some rando comes in and starts talking about Daenerys or maybe they're, maybe they're a little smoother and they start talking about Duncan egg and uh, your, yeah, your, yeah. your characters just go like, Oh really? You've had a vision. Tell me about it. Right. Um, yeah. That's... I mean, they just kind of let the guests see us. <laughs> the people who are visiting, will just see how far they go and uh, just kind of indulge it. And uh, honestly, <laughs> Uh, you get more fun things that way than by trying to ascribe too closely to, you know, it doesn't have to feel like a, um, you know, a brand book, a a living brand book about that uh, particular IP or story world. And I think we're all still figuring out how to, how to not lose that in the mix, you know, where it just feels, you know, like the exposition is very exposition-y everywhere you go. Um, because that just weakens the, you know, you want people to feel like they're living in that world and that experience. So you don't need to, you don't want to get bogged down by, um, trying to get your six points about the new show out in the same fashion with 40 different characters. Cause we had, it was a pretty big cast and to have everybody have to share the exact same three plot points would get old pretty fast. Uh, let's, let's dive into this idea of, and I'm really curious about, how it influences how you look at, you know, non-marketing immersive mm. experiences. This yeah. this balance between exposition or lore, you know, for fans who want to, you know, shorter word seems fancier. It's still exposition uh, versus experience and, and and striking that balance. What's how's your thinking evolved here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of it does come from not assuming that people are caught up uh, and letting it be elastic so that if they do know a ton of the lore, you're ready for them. I mean, I, I feel like I can't help but sh- I, uh, my sort of theme park Disney universal brain is always going to kick in that like reptile brain part of me. <laughs> that's like, Oh, you know, that, that, I, that believes that we always try to, to jam pack a bunch of information in in all of the documents we're sharing with the characters and that we have all that stuff behind the scenes. And that I just happen to believe like a lot of folks on the theme park side, that even if you don't know all that detail of somebody coming in, you can feel that it's there and that people have been brought, you know, on a board with the content well enough. I mean, we did a, uh, and when I say we, um, uh, myself, Tommy Houghton, uh, did a, uh, uh, brand activation with the Terry Hines experiential folks. I'm they I'm gonna get their name wrong probably, but that's okay. Um they'll forgive me. Um for uh Steven Soderbergh's for No Sudden Move last year. And oh, yeah. uh we had this giant, you know, document of everything that was happening that year, the slang, all the different things that were, you know, that that was were applying to the characters. And uh there was a really good chance we would only ever get into 
you know, 10% of that, um, but, or if that, but it felt like all of that was present. And I do think that, you know, a lot like what the old school Disney rides, um, like Pirates of the Caribbean or the Haunted Mansion would, would do, treating it like it's kind of a cocktail party where you're overhearing all of these really uh, deeper, well keyed in conversations between characters means that you're just picking up little little textural details and little sonic details that feel right to the world. But I, I would I almost would rather have people absorb it that way than from direct exposition given to you because I still kind of believe maybe this is just my own bias as an audience member, but if I come into something and uh, a character is like, you have to remember this, I my brain just shuts off almost immediately. <laughs> so I feel like a lot of people uh, have that problem. I'm terrible with it, with names and anything that's supposed to be like critical information. Um, it's fine as long as I'm not being told I have to remember it, but it's like getting ready for a pop quiz or something. So you've got to remember uh, this 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Mountain. <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, no, I'm lost. Right. Yeah, I'm like, lost. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, I maybe that's my thing is I just kind of assume the audience will be uh, as as lost as me and uh, don't, um, you know, that doesn't factor in. But I I still believe even when it's stuff that, uh, we're developing that that doesn't involve a known IP. It's kind of exactly the same way. There's a whole story living behind the curtain, and we decide the right moments to pivot people closer to that story, and moments to purposefully cloud it a little bit, just to you know s- allow people the chance to seek it out or not, if that's not how they want to engage with it. How do you so so? Is it a success then? In, in your eyes, and then I guess also the follow would be like, you know, in the client's eyes as well. If mm-hmm. someone comes to one of these things and um, has a wonderful time, gets a cool vibe, but walks out and maybe doesn't know anything except hopefully the name of what they just did. Like, is that, a, is that enough? Or, or do the briefs often be like, we really do need them to, to take away, you know, this, this bit of information. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I we for that one in particular, I don't think we had a humongous amount of, uh, of a of a need or specific desire of anything to convey. I mean, obviously, the big thing that uh, we were hammering home just through because the idea of the basic experience for folks who probably aren't aware of it is that um, the the guests would would receive a dragon egg, and then through the course of the experience hatch it and it would tie directly into an AR app that uh, allowed them to take their little BB dragon home and do cool things with it. Um, So uh, I feel like knowing that dragons were a key part of a show called house of the dragon, uh, I guess uh, (laughs) it's pretty, it's hopefully pretty obvious from the get, but that was sort of a big piece of it. Um, But no, I mean, we never really had that much pressure to make sure people knew any characters and you know, the brand activation world, I I get in my head philosophically about all the time because at the end of the day, it's really about um, you know eyeballs and impressions on the project. So if you know if it's something that compels someone to want to document it in some way, that's probably the only thing that really um, 
you know, that really drives most of the discussions in terms of a client need or want. I mean, the thing I will say is there's that. And then in the case of something like HBO and House of the Dragon, where the uh, textural details and the aesthetic are super important, I think that um, probably the, the biggest thing that we tried to nail with it was that, um, you know, our, our costume designer, uh, Beryl Brockman, who's worked on some projects with me before, is kind of a freaking wizard when it comes to looking at, you know, cause uh, I've worked on stuff for this client before. And we sometimes even got access to the real costumes for this one because it's so new. Um, it wasn't quite time for that yet. So Beryl just went in and re replicated the textural details as closely as possible. So um, that authenticity was super important to them. And then obviously just people capturing it in some way, which never happens the way you expect. We had talked at one point, I feel like most clients now like want something to blow up in a major way on social media. Can we just go viral? Case. Uh, so exactly. Yeah. They, they want us to figure out how to go viral. And for us, we went viral with a, uh, a puppy account. Um, somebody, <laughs> somebody brought their, their puppy and one of our um, nights outside in the city watch decided that it was, well, first of all, of course, a dire wolf. And second of all, named the, the puppy Huxley the Dread. And that's what blew up. So you never know. You really can't prepare for what the internet will, uh, will latch on to. But, um, but that's what makes it fun. I, I look forward to our puppy influencer overlords uh, here on the I internet. mean, me, me too. I think if we, I mean, I still, I'm ramping up for when we can just finally do what we've always wanted to, which is to just do immersive shows for cats and dogs and not for people at all. But I mean, we'll have to wait a little while. I mean, let's be real. Like if the humans are there and they've got their phones out and they're guiding the animals around or taking the animals around and just getting that stuff on TikTok, everyone's, everyone, Boom. From, everyone's going to be much is. happier, right? Yep. The clients, oh, yeah. people watching at home. Like, I mean, you, you won't feel the exact same type of FOMO uh, because like a cat or a dog is doing it, you know? Yeah. Onboarding is easy, really easy. Treats. I mean, <laughs> but let's yeah. talk about that. Like, like, could we, could we reapply these principles for cat and cat and dog immersive to humans? Mm. Like what would the, like, you well, know, just, I mean, the food and drink, the treats for the onboarding, right? Yeah, no, there's definitely, there's definitely some kind of, hmm, let me see here. Well, I mean, is it know, legally binding I mean, if a cat signs a waiver? There's definitely some Pavlovi, Pavlovian things going on that I think would be pretty accurate for a human audience as much as for a, a, an animal audience in terms of what they're expecting from the experience. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of assumed that a waiver, actually, I'm probably just from practical terms, a waiver from a cat stands as good of a chance as anything as a waiver from a human if it came to a full contact immersive experience. Although a full contact immersive experience with a cat just sounds much more soothing. So yeah, it does. I mean, depending on the size of the cat. So oh, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, we're not talking about Tiger King. This is that's this is House of the Dragon today. <laughs> um. <laughs> not even sure where to go from here. I love this though. I love, love it's a cul-de-sac of of absurdity. Um, it makes some kind of sense, at least to us, which is all that really matters. I know. Like every everyone, everyone listening is probably having a grand old time. David, how how are things on the business side of, of working immersive in this particular vein? How are things right now? It felt like 
SDCC was back to its old tricks, but that was from like the outside. Did it feel that way from, from the inside with what was going on there? I feel like people are still kind of, it's a little touch and go still. I think we're, we're all very like, I don't know, four times bitten, five times shy or something now at this point with the pandemic. But um, what I can say is that last year and the year before I was mostly seeing the activation projects coming alive as uh, influencer based activations. Like I've done a quite a few of those this year. Um, and I think that obviously because it's a smaller audience, it, it's so bizarre to me that in the influencer activation world, you you get to do all the things that I always want to do with super intimate immersive theater because there's no how there's no question of how does it scale at all. Mm. Um, it's better if it's a small thing and it is a little bit more the game and Truman Show and all of that. And I think that those were a little easier to to control from a, a you know a health and safety standpoint. Um, you know, Comic Con was definitely very. Uh, hopeful. And I would say a lot of the things that I have am in talks about now for uh, the rest of this year, feel like we're trending that direction. You know, during the pandemic, I think a lot of, well, you know, are are we out of it? Are we in it? Nobody knows at this point. Um, I've completely lost track. But um, in, in the midst of it, I think folks were working on how to, how to make, how to just produce anything at all during this time. I think what's going to be really interesting um, is is seeing when we get to the point where the work is, is more about just being able to go back to the, wouldn't it be cool if we did this or, or you know, we'd love to tell this kind of a story. Because I think we did kind of put that on the back burner for a little while, just trying to have the, the emotional, physical, social moments was kind of enough for us, I think, as an art form. And now it's time to start to really go back to our original, you know, goals for this kind of work. Because um, I, 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 when I'm in, in my most optimistic and hopeful and inspirational mood, I like to say that after the plague, there's a renaissance. But I think we're, you know, we're, we still haven't quite gotten to renaissance yet. I believe it's coming. Yeah. But I think that right now we're still at the point where we're just still trying to shake off, you know, oh, it's okay to make stuff again. And we're all always looking backwards for, you know, the, the, the re shutdown, the re tightening up of things. But um, it was, you know, it was cool. I got to, I got to see a couple of things at Comic-Con and obviously spent a lot of time at the castle and um, people are, are, you know, are certainly excited to come back out for work. I know uh, it was, uh, I think we're still going to be unpacking for a while what psychologically is different for audiences when it comes to experiencing these things now. I think there's some stuff that I don't think we're even conscious of yet, even folks that maybe aren't as um, uh, as precautious about it. I think that there's some, you know, I, I I don't know if anybody else feels the same way as me, but like if I watch a, like a music video from back in like the nineties and there's a crowd, I'm just like, uh, people <laughs> so close together. And so I think there's still some of that when we do these experiences where it is a, it's a thing you can't, it's hard to shake off. So I think until we can really do that, we're probably going to continue to do a little bit of the, you know, it, it's, it, it occurs to me saying it out loud, 
it reminds me of when in 2016, when we were first starting to, when, when there was like sort of a golden age moment of immersive stuff. And when I uh, was first starting to experience some of that out in LA, that the big push at the time was um, this was the way that people would put their phones down and they would learn how to engage with other human beings and be social. And I think we're doing that again, to be honest, you know, I think we kind of started to do it. And then, you know, obviously we all became uh, shut in hermits and now we're, we're, it, it kind of serves that same utility, um, in a slightly different way. So, you know, I'm, I, I guess I am hopeful seeing the stuff that's happening right now. And, uh, I just want to I, I just want to get back to that point where the the content is allowed to just kind of be the things we're excited about again rather than just sort of trying to get our our groove back like Stella. You've been at this for a long time now. Definitely like relative to the scene as a whole. Um how do you feel your career is going at this point. Do you, do you feel like you're finding a, a balance in here? Are you feel like you're in a steady spot? Are, are you watching other people kind of find their groove as well? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I like where we're at now because it's kind of frustratingly hard to tell what one type of entertainment is versus another. Everything's getting much more blurry and overlapping more, which I think is, uh, how I, how I like it to be. Um, and seeing how it's continuing to evolve in that way is, is nice. I mean, I think I've, (laughs) what I'll say about stuff like house of the dragon is the thing that my, in my own personal career is I've, uh, had to, I've like accidentally had a production company now, which I never expected to do. Um, so that part's been very, cool and humbling. Um, you know, there's things that, uh, not to get too much in the, the business books side of it, but, um, there's things like lovely AB five that have meant that I've had to learn a lot really quickly about, you know, getting 40 some odd actors and staff on payroll. And what does that mean when we've always kind of just, when three years ago, we were like, well, let's just put on a show. We'll see what happens. Now it's like, it's like, oh, there's forms and uh, taxes and all sorts of other things involved. Not that there weren't taxes before. I'll just, I just want to say on the record that I, uh, I do all the legal things I should do. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean that part was a whole new, um, has been a whole new avenue for me. And it's been, you know, I think that the the stuff I'm looking forward to, um, and I talk with a lot with like I, one of my close collaborators is Andy Crocker. Uh, who I think has been on maybe oh, yeah. a couple times, right? At least, oh, yeah. um, and uh, uh, we have we have some we have some like <laughs> some uh, uh, persnickety stubborn points that we're trying to push for in the future that more have to do with the way things are uh, run and orchestrated than from a creative standpoint. You know, like we keep saying that we'd love for uh, this kind of work to get to the point where it's. Uh, there's a there's a hat for every person and a person for every hat and we're not all trying to do 20 you know we sometimes we look at it as a good thing of wearing many hats but um i think the the piece i crave is knowing is is working on productions where it's clear like there is a, a person who's just a producer and how valuable that is a person who's just the art director and how valuable that is so that part of my career 
um, has been, you know, is moving in the right direction. And I'm excited to just start to see, um, you know, uh, there's a there's a part of me that will always believe in like punk rock, total loosey goosey art on one side. But the other side is that to make these more increasingly complex stories come to life, we do need all of those those separate sets of eyes to be shepherding things along. And um, that part is is, you know, I'm seeing more people uh, come forward and want to take on those roles. I just always want more people to to realize that being a producer is neat um, so that we can have more (laughs) of them. Uh, and, uh, and there's just other roles like that, that, you know, that, that's as much a thing in the theme park world as it is in the immersive theater and brand activation world. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's also just good to see, you know, when I look at people kind of, um, finding their footing or getting their groove, um, I, I'm also just excited that there are more and more folks that, um, or maybe, you know, their stories haven't been told or they haven't been unable to, uh, up to this point and, um, you know, seeing more and more true, you know, representation across the board in our different disciplines is, um, I, you know, something I obviously I'm going to just kind of keep, keep fighting for and be excited to see. So that part does my heart really good, uh, as I'm seeing it, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a it, it, I think that we're continuing to grow and, um, you know, maybe because of, or in spite of, or whatever for the pandemic, I think it's, I think it's, it's pushed some of those things to a boiling point faster, which is, which is ultimately a good thing for the art form. This is all actually really good to hear because one of the things, one of the vibes I'm picking up from, from sort of the audience side is is kind of a, a sense of, Oh, there's nothing going on. And, and I keep on having conversations with folks who have been kind of the core creatives, you know, pre pandemic, particularly here in LA and, and some in New York. And these folks are busier than I've ever known them to be, but they aren't mm. necessarily making a lot of, you know, indie consumer facing work. And I kind of take that as a sign that in the macro sense, things are actually going really well even if in the local scene sense, it, it may not be possible to like pop out to a show, you know, a new show every few weeks, like in LA or New York, the way it was in say 2016, 2017, when we were really hitting our stride. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I just, it's, yeah, go ahead. No, please. You, you. Well, I was, cause I mean, I think that's, it's interesting because there's a lot of people who are indie folks that, you know, I guess this is a good thing, but, but it comes with its caveats that all the sort of indie artists that, that, you know, have shown some promise or a lot of them have, have been, um, there, there are agencies and there are, you know, IP holders and there are, you know, larger entities that are seeing that and are realizing that they do have superpowers that they can use hopefully for good and not for evil. Um, so I, I do think that that, that's a, positive thing in terms of just people being able to support their work. I think the thing that we all have to look out for when we get into this point, um, you know, uh, another producer I work with a lot and, you know, friend of, of no pro, et cetera, Eric Vossmeyer, uh, when we got done with, when I got done with Comic-Con, he, uh, you know, dropped me a line saying, you know, n- n- you know, basically like, 
uh, well done on that. Now let's do one, you know, let's do one for us. And I think that is just trying to remember, it's really easy to get um, sucked up into telling all these other stories. But, you know, I think it's the big thing is that we all have to make sure that it's pushing us towards the stories that we're excited about also telling that aren't necessarily affiliated with those, um, those more, you know, big budget, larger scale, larger visibility projects. So, uh, you know, yeah, to your point, people are, our folks are just, are getting busy. Um, and that's, a that sounds suggestive. Sorry. They're not getting, <laughs> getting busy. Um, people are, are, you know, finding themselves Being gamefully employed, David. Occupied um. by, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, I mean, my big thing I've always been a fan of and it even, you know, when I was working with the the creep JFI folks, you know, our a lot of our, our objective was to kind of trick people into seeing theater, thinking it was a haunted house and, you know, just be sneaky. And I think that some of that is still happening now with, you know, Andy and I, Andy Crocker and I are working on a thing called Tricks and Treats um, for the Cedar Fair family of, of theme parks where it's been, we were just in, you know, um, uh, Minnesota last week at this pretty small regional theme park. And we're talking about basically trying to sneak in, you know, immersive theatrical full day to night arc theater in the middle of this theme park that's never had it before. And so that part's very exciting for us. And it is fulfilling a lot of, you know, we get to, in our own way, we do get to tell stories we care about within those, those bubbles. And, you know, with this one, it's particularly fun because we are kind of creating our own IP. It's just Andy and I making up ridiculousness that people actually are, are silly enough to spend money on building. So jokes on them. With something, but, but you mean with like Cedar, right? I mean, they, they've got, they, they own knots. Ghost Town Alive has been very successful for knots. Um, enough that they bring it back every year, uh, enough that it's kind of deeply ironic, uh, <laughs> right. that, that yeah. it is. Um, but you've got, you've got ghost town alive, you've got star cruiser, uh, which, you know, uh, f- folks have worked on, uh, and those models are like all, <laughs> was, can I pro- say certain things, but like, um, <laughs> just, just that was appropriately check. just redacting yourself. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just like, uh, uh, what do I not know? Um, what am I not, what am I not supposed to know today? Um, everything, everything all the time. I know it's, oh, why does the show suck now? It's cause Noah can't talk about anything anymore, but, um, no, it doesn't. I don't think Redacted the musical. <laughs> Seriously. The point being, has the 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 playing field changed because of some of these big ticket items and and is it is it easier to get those pitches uh at least danced with and not and not just completely thrown out the door from minute one i it it isn't it isn't i mean i i it doesn't happen enough to really to me to say that there's confidently any big trends with it i mean it still comes down to you know uh larger groups being willing to take some risks on the the product. I mean, I think people are, are at least what's good now is that you can point at stuff that exists out in the field and say, it's kind of like this kind of like that. Um, because, you know, and, and no, um, no uh, discredit to, you know, to sleep no more or meow wolf because they're, you know, uh, you know, very successful at what they do and have been for a long time. But those, it's always interesting when you're in the creative sessions with people who don't do a lot of this kind of stuff to see which things they reference. And those are definitely the main, 
one. So um, to hear people starting to talk about Star Cruiser or start to talk talk about uh, Ghost Town, you know, is is definitely encouraging. I think the the piece that we keep having to um, continue to fight for is showing how when you do something that is truly sort of sandbox or open world like that, that that everything depends on everything else that we have, you know, if we make a change in one aspect of the, even if it's a super tiny, seemingly superficial thing, if we make a change in one part of the show, it has this giant ripple effect to everything else. So there, there's still some learning that I think not, not, you know, and this is not for the Cedar Fair folks. This is just in general with all the clients that are still, you know, it's exciting that everybody wants to try to do this. I was very, um, have been very fortunate with some of the things this year that, that, you know, the, the, the clients are sort of excited by the stuff and they do want to find out they're, they're willing to kind of go along with us for the magic trick of how it all stitches together because, you know, for house of the dragon, um, the specific producer and creative director team that I was working with um, were kind of uh, uh, some of the aspects of this were a little bit newer um, to them specifically. And they were excited to learn about what we do and excited to try to put more and more of it into motion, which is, you know, a really positive thing that I think um, comes from everybody slowing down a little bit. I think that now these groups are like, you know what, let's try it. Why not? And so, um, having that instinct is, uh, I think, really lucky for all of us. Well, that's definitely good to hear, David. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we don't we don't get to catch up often enough, uh, but I'm glad we sometimes get to do it right here on the show. So, um, uh, is before before we part, is there anything uh, that you can talk about that folks should be keeping an eye out that you're working on, or is everything kind of you know in, in stealth mode at the moment? Uh, I did not. I did not pre-ask him this question, everybody. So I'm, I'm dropping <laughs> David in, in, in the moment. I want to say, well, tricks and treats. The right. thing that I just mentioned that's out there and um, and happening in, two in October, right? Uh, uh, it's mid September. Um, it's going to be at uh, in Northern California, California's Great America, and then at Valley Fair. In I just got to go to the Mall of America for the first time last week. That was very nice. exciting. I got to see Paul Bunyan. Um, but that's a story for another time. Uh, so yeah, middle of September, um, we'll be opening both of those, those events up and that's pretty exciting. Um, I'm, uh, about to leave this podcast and talk about a thing for the holiday season. So that's exciting. Um, but I don't think I'm, I think like I would some kind of sniper. (laughs) I I, I, I would have to be careful, but, um, but yeah, the there's a lot happening, which is which is good, and um, uh, a lot of things are are really hybridizing. You know, like things that are kind of living in the digital space and the physical space at the same time, um, which I think is is um, is always really encouraging. And uh, there is, uh, I think, it's fair to tease that if everything I'm talking to with folks happens now, there is more stuff for puppet fans to nerd out about in the future. So if you like some puppets, oh, okay. uh, yeah. there might be things like that happening some, sometime not too far away. So I'm just putting it out in the world so that the project I'm thinking about doesn't, doesn't, uh, 
float away in the ether and never come back. Um, but, uh, yeah, lots, lots going on. And, um, uh, just, you know, a bunch of stuff to, to be nerdy about the theory of, and try to figure out how to, um, keep playing with the form in exciting ways. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's what, that's the biggest thing I can hope for is just tell new stories, find new ways to throw in things from the world of like fashion and video games and other things that don't, you know, quote unquote, belong in immersive theater, just to see what happens. Fantastic. Well, David, thanks for, thanks for hopping on the call with me today. And, uh, this is giving me lots of hope for our, our not too distant future. If nothing else, at least you have hope for the dogs and cats immersive uh, metroplex because that is that is what's coming. I can say pretty confidently that's our future. Pup immersive, it's happening. <laughs> Pup immersive twenty twenty three. I'm in. Once again, I want to thank Keith, Kyle, and David for being our guests on the show this week. Next week on the pod, we're talking with the curators of the Venice International Film Festival's Venice Immersive section. It's kind of our annual check-in with them uh, because Venice International is coming up uh, right at the very end of the month and blasting through, I think, what to the 10th or the 11th of September. Of course, spooky season is right around the corner, and there are stirrings all over the place. In fact, uh, that casting notice uh, you will note in San Jose, that is for uh, one of the events happening at the Winchester Mystery House this year. Things are popping off all over. And yeah, uh, it's it's there's a nice you know kind of little steady buzz of work. Um, don't forget tickets for the Denver Immersive Gathering are still on sale. Uh, the price bump uh, has been held off until the beginning of next month, so a little bit after Labor Day, there's going to be a price bump. Standard tickets are 150 VIP, which includes David Burns Theater of the Mind, are 250. You can check out all that information over at Immersive Denver. I'll be there. Uh, with bells, I won't be there with bells on. I'll be there. I'm not putting bells on. I'm not gonna. I didn't even finish the sentence, so you can't hold me to it. All right. Um, it's August. Go have fun. Uh, I hope to see you all soon, and I will talk to you next week. Let's do the credits. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. And the podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by me. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.